you doing, man? Doing great, bro. What's good? Chilling. Yeah, you brought a special friend with you today. You want? Uh, yeah. You want to tell us who Thomas is? Yeah, this is the homie Tom, um, Thomas Dixon, um, otherwise known as Thomas O'Casey. Uh, he's an artist. He's an art historian, uh, curator. Um, he was a um, he was a assistant to some of the most illustrious uh, art galleries um, in American history. Uh, and the likes of Leo Castelli, Nicholas Wilder. He was a contemporary and a friend to Andy Warhol, John Chamberlain, a driver for Isaac Hayes at a certain time of his life. This guy is like the Dos Equis man, and he's my my, my big homie. Hey. And uh, and actually, you know, um, one of the co-founders of um, of the Can, um, original co-founders of the Can. So, you know, a lot of people don't know that. You know, people see me and see others, and but we have, you know, others in the background as well. Because I've never seen him before. Yeah, exactly. And I'm kind of ignorant to a lot of, like, the popular people, I guess, in the art world. But I've definitely, I feel like I've heard of Andy Warhol. That's like He's a legend, isn't it? Andy yeah. Warhol, right? Yeah, exactly. So so Tom, so Tom has um, worked in the gallery world um, doing exhibits. Um, this guy has over 1500 exhibits, you know, in his in his experience, you know, um helping set up exhibits, working with that many artists and, you know. So, yeah. I guess how'd you guys meet? Uh we met um I guess about a decade ago through um mutual friends and family um family friends or whatever. Um at the time I was you were were you in Richmond at the time? No, I was I was here, but I was um I was just getting back from like New York and um I was just getting off a contract that I had in Connecticut with a gallery there. And um I was having a little issue um that I, you know, was seeking a little guidance on. And this family friend, you know, introduced me to Tom. And uh Tom, um, we hit it off because we're speaking a lot of the same language. A lot of the things that I was studying in American art history are things that he kind of was attached to firsthand. You know what I mean? So that was an interesting, um, it was an interesting thing to be studying something and then meet somebody who's <coughs> right there. You know yeah. what I mean? To tell you how it actually kind of went down in this, you know, from his perspective. And so, um we we became friends i would say about 2013 and then 2014 i opened my first gallery um and um we started working a little closer just ideating on different things and connecting on different points um is this the gallery that you were telling me last time that somebody had reached out to you like the day after your birthday yeah and like yep. kind of gave you a space to just mm -hmm. run 670 with gallery yeah uh, 670 that was um it's crazy to think that that was almost ten years ago now, but that that was a that was a dope time, um, and it was I feel like it was kind of like the beginning of a lot of uh, what's happening in the art space now in this in this area. Like like what? Um, just like really, I feel like that two thousand thirteen, two thousand fourteen, two two thousand fifteen moment 
was a, a moment where a lot of artists kind of linked up, um, started doing shows. You started seeing galleries open around that time, like ours, like Thank You Gallery. Um, Wait, so you were in this area at the time? I was. Weren't you like, I thought you were in like Richmond nah, before nah, you nah. came out here. Mm-mm. I was in, I was, so I'm from here. Okay. And then I went to school in, in Boston. Uh, and then after that, I was in New York. And then I came back here. Um, and then I've I've lived el- elsewhere since, but I've been kind of back planted here since like 2012. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I, I went to L.A. for a little while and then been back. So artists were collaborating. Yeah, that, so 2014, time. 2015, this is like the beginning of the Neon District. This is... Um, and that, oh, actually, the Neon District, I think Raisa might sit on that board or something like that. Um, she actually told me about that recently, like she was doing something with them. I don't know if she does now, but like the Neon District, like back in those days was like, so I would say like 2010, before 2010, and this is an interesting trend, right? I would say. Not, not to cut you off. Yeah, also, sure. just for people who don't know, the Neon District, that's like the arts district in Virginia in, Beach. In Norfolk. In Norfolk, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, the Vibe District is the arts district in Virginia Beach. Mm, maybe she was and telling I me actually about the Vibe District. I think that's what she sits district. on, okay. yeah, because her, her, um. Her gallery, Utopia Femi, shout out to uh, Raisa and Utopia Femi. Um, they're in Virginia Beach. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I think she sits on on that board. But um, the Neon District, which um, was really, I think, the first art district in Hampton Roads, really, like solidified. Like before that, there was no art district in Norfolk, and the, the vibe was not there yet. Um, there's still there's an art district in in Hampton now, but it's not like named anything specifically. What about Newport News? Do we, do we have one? No, not really. It we have be the Can District. We that, have that'll make sense, right? Come on. So possibly, uh, but we so so if you look at the national trend of public art, right? Like public art as a thing, and you know my art historians out there, feel free to fact check this this video, but. I feel like it really, you really started to see major national trends in around like 2010, 2011, right? Um, I would say like prior to that, a lot of a lot of what is now thought of as public art was still in the illegal graffiti space. So you had people like, um, you know, Shepard Ferry, Obey, you know what I mean? Um, people in that vein who are now thought of as world-renowned studio artists and street artists. Um, at that time, what they were doing out in the public space, I feel like was more in the illegal tag, get up, you know, vein. Whereas like, I started to see a shift 2009, 2010. And it, ironically, this was also Shepard Ferry's first, the year of Shepard Ferry's first uh, museum show up in Baltimore. This was like street art, the first time I saw street art now being institutionalized, right? Is that a good thing? Well, what I mean by that is being accepted by the art institutions as real art. Mm. So, yes, it's a good thing. They usually look at it just like this dirty thing that happens on the streets. Yeah, it's like a separation between like what came out of maybe graffiti in the 80s, right? Which evolved into tagging, which evolved into wheat pasting, which evolved into different modes of art in public space that is 
without permission. You know what I mean? But the people making those things are artists, bro. Like whether it's people with the tags, whether it's people, you know, in the 90s who were, you know, doing different forms, it's still artists, right? And I think that um, the direction that an artist may go in to get their work seen by the world could dictate their journey, right, to some extent. So if you look at what is deemed as street art or in the past what was deemed as graffiti, I think that um, around 2011, that started to shift. And you started to see cities now looking at ways to activate spaces for beautification by using the same people that would have been arrested just a few years earlier. <laughs> and what do you think? Was the, the what was the reason for that shift? <laughs> um, I think so. Hmm, that's that's a great question. I can't if, say if they're looking at these artists as people who really aren't artists. Like, yeah, yeah. How do they go from okay? Now you want you guys to actually you want to be part of it? Um. Well, I think I think. Huh. Now this would just be off the off the cuff answer, right? But there's a lot of things at play, right? Like nothing really happens in a vacuum. There's a lot of circumstances that have to lead up to something, right? And so I feel like in the public art space, graffiti forms, which in the 80s might have been like spray paint burners, you know what I mean? Or people putting their name on something or whatever like that. Like more just like words? Yeah, or something like that. I mean, even imagery, but it was had a certain aesthetic, a certain style to it, right? I think those aesthetics evolved over time. So where you see, like, let's stay on Shepard Ferry, for, for instance, right? He's now taking, because he's coming from art school. So that's what I mean. You have people who are have gone through art school with art professors, with degrees, who are now out in the world living their lives and might have a bunch of interests and might not know the first step into getting their work out there, right? And so a lot of people, I was actually one of them. I've been arrested for graffiti when I was in my early 20s, right? Mm, you never told me that. I'm not a graffiti okay. artist, right? I spent nights in jail behind doing graffiti in Boston what was when your I tag? was still in college. Um, it wasn't really a tag thing. It was true face, but it was, it was, um, I was putting up faces and I actually got caught in an act red handed. Somebody thought I was burglarizing the spot and, uh, <laughs> and that was the end of my graffiti days. But those were awesome lessons in how to get your work directly to the people. Right now, this was like 2008, 2009. So we see the shift 2010, 2011, where street artists are now taking these forms into galleries, which they were trained in the gallery format, a lot of them. A lot of them went to art school, right? A lot of these guys who are well-known for street art are people who either went to art school or have been studying under artists or been studying art for a long time, right? Not just street art, but in a way to get their work directly to the people, they hit the street with it. Right. I guess what also what's another if you do go to school and you get a degree in art, aside from that illegal graffiti aspect, what is the actual, I guess, the quote unquote proper way to get your art to the world or there's, to the people? There's no there's no proper way. Okay. Is what we're finding, right? 
I think historically, you know, there has been um, certain authorities of institution that that sort of play a gatekeeper role. Like if you look back to like where the center of the art world was a hundred years ago, right, or 150 years ago, right, is like Paris, France, and what ruled that system was a, a a thing they call the annual salon. And so so like all the artists would apply to get their work into this one show. And then whoever got their work into that one show was deemed worthy to be an artist. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there were certain standards of aesthetic that they wanted to ride with in order to keep, you know, art what it was at that time, right? And so guys like Picasso and, you know, Matisse and that era of French artists started to break out of caring about the salon and working directly with dealers and collectors and having direct relationships, right? Mm. Where maybe the opportunity is secondary, where the relationship comes first, right? So instead of like figuring out how to just, you know, jump into something now, is scenarios where artists are hanging out with the people who are going to buy their artwork. They're friends. You see what I'm saying? And so things evolve. There's a million ways that it happens, but I think what has been super traditional in the Western format is the gallery and the museum, right? The gallery and the museum. So artists usually want to get their work in galleries because galleries are places that people expect to see artwork. And, people, and that's where they buy art too, right? Yeah. Okay. That well, because I guess the difference in a museum, you don't really buy art no, at a museum. No, yeah. but people, but people buy art everywhere now. Okay. So that's why I say it's a, it's a, it's a totally transforming and evolving market all the time because now people buy artwork online. People can reach out to somebody on off Instagram. People can you know go do a studio visit, which they've always been doing. So, you know. There's no one way. The way is what works for you. What was that uh, event called in Paris? That was the annual event. The 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 salon. It was like the um. It, it was an actual thing. I was, Tom, and I was just gonna ask. Tom, do you know what that what that annual event was? So, I was gonna ask did that did that event become less and less relevant when these artists started yeah, making connections out. with? It completely died uh, out after a while. Right? Like, you still have, like, you still have that format, though. Like, you still... of, like... It's, like, almost like the Grammys. Yeah, it's like the Biennial. It's like the Venice Biennial or something like that where, you know... Or, like, even Art Basel, for instance, right? It's, like, certain big presentations of artwork that almost kind of stamp who is who and what is what in the value of But that's, like, everybody knows that there's way harder people in the underground world or you know every time it, at the Grammys for example a lot of times somebody might win and be like oh yeah this person got snuff like they should have really won or it's like it's like a known thing that people are that are making these decisions decisions or voting on what the hottest quote-unquote art is it's like a lot of times they're not really in the loop or they might have other agendas or be like pushing certain people or like yeah it's like I not mean, a pure thing Looking at that, right? It's like how many artists, how many, how many music artists get to go to, um, how many performing artists get to go to the Grammys every year? How many of them are in, involved in the process? Do I would say it's probably a good like 30, 40, right? 
Like it, it must be more. It has to be a lot more. When I'm you're thinking like in about the categories or who's getting voted. Yeah, or when you're thinking about all the categories cross genre and all the types of people who can potentially win a Grammy, right? Let's say, and let's all say the 50, nominations. Maybe fifty. I mean, I even if let's say, even if let's say it's two hundred. Right? I thought that's a street. That's, that's a stretch. That, but, that right, could be yeah. a stretch. But let's say two hundred. Right, uh, big stretch. Let's say it's two hundred artists. Out of all the artists recording, bro. It's like, what, it's like a million songs that get dropped every day? That That's what I'm saying, bro. So, like, what is the Grammys really? And what does that really... What is that? Actually? I guess it does hold its place. Well, what it, the place that it holds is within a certain format of industry. You feel what I'm saying? It's like, okay. If you were going to relate, like, art to basketball you know what i'm saying like in basketball there's hella levels bro from like street ball sandlot you know to rec league to aau to high school jv varsity juco division three d2 d1 you know top 10 d1 you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's probably even different levels in the actual just NBA. Like, yeah, semi-pro, G League, D League. Or just on scale, like people who will get remembered more. Yeah, overseas, like, yeah. bench players, practice team. Shout out to Nurkic. We got a, you know we, we got a Bosnian NBA player. Okay, yeah. shout, shout out to Bosnia. Yeah. Um, um, All-Stars, you feel me? We got the uh, big three. Yeah, like, like come on. And, and all of those are professionals. Like, like after you get past the college realm, it's so many categories of professional, right? But even below that, in the college realm, the skill levels are so varying. You feel what I'm saying? Between, like, high-level D1 and JUCO, huge level of difference, right? Between varsity basketball and JV is a huge level of difference. Between certain districts of varsity basketball versus prep schools, it's a huge level difference. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, with artistry, there's so many of us doing it, but the levels aren't as apparent. They're not like mm, you sign up for rec league. Yeah, it's blurry yeah. lines. You feel what I'm saying? There really is no formula. There there's no, no formula, bro. It's yeah. the wild, wild west. You know, if you if for, like, to get in the NBA, for example, you know, you got to do certain steps. You do these, mm -hmm. you get into the NBA. Yeah. But you, the, like, you have artist, to go yeah, through wild, certain wild. leagues and steps in order to do that. Right. Right. And and it, and that, and that what that does, are, they're like leagues of authority almost, right? Or profession. But when you think about it, right? NBA players are probably the best players in the world. There's a sprinkle of dudes that you could probably find in jail, <laughs> right? And then, they in do college, a, like, they do a good know? job of actually finding the yeah, the but best they players. do a good job of finding the best players. Of course, there's some politics to it, right? But then once they actually get there, like the amount of resources that they have to make sure that these players are the best, right, is different than a person who has to be self motivated to get up every day, work out, 
then go try to make connections and get seen and do this. Yo, once you're in the league, bro, like, bro, you got people catering on you. Mm. Like, they treating you like a horse. They massaging you down multiple times a day, making sure you have a nutritionist to eat right, making sure that, that everything you need is right there. I seen a dude, uh, I don't know what country, it was like a dirt road, and there's it's uphill, and he's... You know, he has these, like, fucking tires tied to his back and yeah. he's dribbling the ball uphill. Yeah, like, still, I'm like, oh, yeah, we might see him in the NBA soon. Like, we, we probably that's, will. That's that self-motivation. Like, all those guys, I'm sure, have a certain level of that. You know, yeah. they got to, obviously, to, to get to that level. But, yeah, when you have those resources behind you, when you have the, you could take it even further. Bro, when you're there, right, then you're a superstar. Now it's like, how much, how much of history do you want to make? Because you've already made it into history because you're in that league. Right, so you've made it into history. Now it's about what you're gonna do when you're there. But it's it's a lot easier to do what you're doing when you're there. And I'll get I'll give you for instance, in visual art we call it the blue chip. Right, the blue chip. The blue chip. Right. If you ever hear any artists talk about blue chip, what they're talking about is a level at which your artwork gets in value and your name gets in value, to where you have name recognition all over the art world. And your value is sort of solidified in history. Mm. So meaning like you have some public um, price records at auctions and different things like that, but also your name and your activity rings enough that we know that you're in history. And wherever your name gets brought up in real art circles, it holds its value. Do people usually... Can, do people get to that blue chip level in their lifetime or yeah. in their generation? Or does yeah. that take... It's a league. It's like the okay. league. That's like saying, do people make it to the NBA oh, in their okay, lifetime? Okay. No, it's <laughs> like, but sometimes you don't know how big of an impact somebody has till a few generations no, later. That's, it's a that's, different thing. That's like, true. That That's true. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know... Well, Basquiat, he's, he's deceased. But in his lifetime, he was... They call Basquiat the... They call Basquiat the... Um, the Eddie Murphy of the art world. Wasn't he around before Eddie Murphy? No, they were contemporaries. Oh, I feel like he was like way long ago. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Basquiat was his 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 stint in the art world was nineteen eighty one to nineteen eighty eight. I don't know why I always thought he was like in the eighteen hundreds or some wild shit. Okay. Nah, nah, nah. See, it's the names. Yeah, see, like, oh, see, yeah. whenever <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Whenever you say some art names, people start tripping. He was writing with like, a feather. Yeah. He was, yeah. <laughs> if you say Picasso, Da Vinci, Basquiat, any fancy type names, people think this span could be a thousand years to fifty years. Who knows? Picasso died in nineteen seventy three, bro. Basquiat died in nineteen eighty eight. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But I, I can't I can't remember what point we were making. Uh, you were saying Basquiat. Oh, blue chip. The blue, blue chip. chip. Yeah. So the blue chip. The blue chip is basically when you have solidified status, bro. It's like Shepard Ferry is in the blue chip. You know what Obey is, right? The clothing brand? Yeah. Oh, he made that? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so that's my point. Mm. You see you see how quick that name recognition was? Uh, but I guess I never heard his name. That's all I like that's also cool to me too, having a brand that's bigger than you. Or, but you've seen Obey. Yeah, I used to wear it. Okay. That was like middle school we used all to wear right. Obey. Yeah. So so there. That that that's blue chip. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like when it's like that it's like you're on that level. Who are some other people, I guess? Who's the youngest person? Is there like younger people in 
Today? Blue chip, yeah. Yeah. There there are people um, climbing into the blue chip every day. Um, a lot of people, hundreds of artists are in the blue chip. You know what I'm saying? Like some of the active people in the blue chip right now would be like Rashid Johnson, right? Would be like... Um, uh, uh, what's my guy? Kehinde Wiley. You heard of Kehinde Wiley? Mm-mm. He's a guy who did that. Um, Rumors of War, big statue. Uh, in Richmond, in front of the in front of the VMFA museum. Maybe if I seen it, I'm not sure. It made the cover of the Time magazine and all this stuff. But, okay. but there there um. There are a lot of art, but then again, visual artists aren't. They don't have the same. They don't have the same celebrity recognition as basketball players and movie stars. You know what I mean? But within the art world, within our little world, right, our thing, those names are like Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if you don't, if you're not in that world, you might you might not know the names. But my point about the Grammys thing is like this: of those fifty to two hundred artists, we said the ranges, right? Thirty to two hundred artists that somehow get nominated and maybe win, have a chance to win a Grammy, right? Bro, I could probably name ten thousand performing and recording artists, and you could you could get. 10,000 performing and recording artists in every city in America, bro. And there's like over 10,000 cities in America. So when you start to put together the numbers of how many people are performing and recording artists versus how many are in that... Visual art space? No, are in that little tiny box that get to go to the Grammys, right? Then it's like, that's like saying, if you were to ask somebody at the Grammys, what's the best path career path for an artist getting out of college to to become successful in art. Their answer is going to be way different than the performing artist who's making $150,000 a year doing, you know, festivals or the 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 rapper who has a following of a thousand people. You know what I mean? That's selling out the local venues in his region. You know what I mean? Or the artist that's in Texas the rapper that's in Texas that's been out of the trunk since the 90s that has a loyal following that's a millionaire but that you might never ever heard of or ever hear on the radio, right? There's a huge varying range of what an artist can do in the industry. And so when it comes to visual art, yeah, the gallery is one pathway, right? You could throw an art show in your house. You know what I mean? You could take your art into a public space. Mm-hmm. In a studio, outside of the studio, people coming in, all those other well-known artists and performers that would just walk in the door. It's it's so many things you could do. Like you know, Banksy. I've heard of him. Yeah, that's the one that he went. Uh, I've seen that he put like a bunch of paintings up, like in different museums around the world. To see that's how long what I'm before saying. They get oh, you seen the one where it was like a paper shredder? Yeah. When it was an auction? Yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting. It's, inter- it's was that, was interesting. That his, was that his work that got auctioned or was that some random person's work that well, he shredded? I don't know about I don't know about that exact piece, but I I Banksy, nobody even knows who who that is. Yeah, anonymous. Wait, so you guys haven't you have you haven't heard about the shredded thing? Yeah, yeah. The the banana like when somebody auctioned it, right? When somebody yeah, bought it, it, it went, went in the shredder. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen that. But but, but even on anonymous, that's super fired me. Like he's anonymous. Uh the person who created Bitcoin is anonymous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, like 
I think that's super crazy. Just to create something that really changes the world in a way. And just to kind of, it's almost like totally no ego. Leaving yourself completely. Like, I don't even want anybody to know it was me. Yeah. Like, that's that's insane to me. I think that is um, noble. Noble. You know, yeah. I think that's that's one of the things that trips me up about this current world that we live in. Right? Like, social media world. It's like. It's such a double-edged sword because on the one hand, you see how, you know, man's ability to use these tools that we have and do our own thing without um, having to worry about, like, some big industry gate to cross through to have your podcast or to have whatever you have going on, right? It's it's good now because we have social media to help us get the things out there, right? It's, but then, it's, like, it's like a, my bad to cut you off, it's like a big, just a bigger version of that, like that event in, in Paris, where now now mm-hmm. the dealers are talking direct with the artists, and mm-hmm. the artists now are just connecting directly with the consumers. Exactly. And these big um, empires that have been around are just slowly losing their relevance. The biggest shows right now, that even we talk about news, new, nobody watches the news anymore. Yeah. Like, that's mainstream corporation, like, fucking run by the government damn near. Yeah. But it's like everybody's tuning into these individual people that are just running it by themselves. Like, I think, I'm pretty sure Joe Rogan gets more listeners than every news channel combined. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's like, yeah. Like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what were we going to say about Banksy, though? What was I going to say? Oh, the anonymity thing. Um I, the thing that trips me up on the the okay so so what we just said was one side of the sword right, the other side of the sword. I think is like uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, like one that's one part of it. It's like clout, notoriety, but it's a way. It's a better way. Narcissism. Oh, you like know what the, I'm saying? Oh, like the opposite of the. It's like, anonymous. yes, uh, right? Like, like when you were like saying like, damn, to do such a great thing and to be egoless in it, right? To let that thing be that thing without you having to be attached to it, right? That's like uh, almost like a spiritual principle. You know what I mean? Whereas like to have to get the clout for the thing is one thing. Okay, so to do a thing and then have others be able to appreciate it is one thing, right? But then to do a thing, to then have to pump yourself up to then convince others to appreciate it is an interesting step that has been added, right? Which allows us freedom to actually build our own audiences, right? But then it's also adding an extra layer of looking at yourself, again and again and again and thinking about yourself in ways that to me might seem a little unnatural. We're like talking about social media here. Social media part. You know what I mean? It's like we could go in a rabbit hole down that. No, it's like you get superstars within the, the sellers, the dealers, like Gugosian that are manipulating, having shows, doing things where they themselves sell art become stars in certain you know genres in certain areas and if you look at back that 
you can compare that to what you, you know where you came from about your singing. Yeah, it's like it's like it's like this is what I mean though. This is what I mean by that. Like the wise men of old, right? Didn't write their own books. Who wrote them? Their followers. Wait. Mm. They wrote books about their lives, like after. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like weird to me <laughs> well, I to guess see. A lot of, I, guess, I mean, a lot of people did. Yeah, people wrote books, yeah. of course. But like when we think about like the 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 old wise men of old, like the Pla- like the Plato's or Socrates's and the. Oh yeah, not the play, but yeah, the Socrates mm. and the yeah, all these people, like their students, the like Jesus, they, the Buddhas, and all these people, right? Even the modern like Indian holy men, all these people, like a lot of them didn't write their own book. A lot of their followers wrote their books because they were more like um, ingrained in the practice of whatever they were doing. Mm, like they didn't even have time to really, you know what I mean? Maybe that that just wasn't their role, right? They're, you know, and it, and it, I like, and I'm not. Don't confuse what I'm saying because what I'm I'm not saying that people who write aren't wise. That's not what I'm saying. Oh yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is that in today's world, anybody can be a self-proclaimed anything and turn the camera on them and make it up and build it up to be anything. And the substance doesn't necessarily have to be anything. It's like famous for the sake of being famous. And I think yeah. that's the best way to sum it up. I think a lot of those things, like you're talking about the Kardashians, or just a lot of those like stuff with no substance, like you're saying, I think it just, that's just good marketing, the reason that's good. Right. Like people will consume stuff that's just there. Like it's just, it's already in your face. A certain percentage of the population is going to watch it. So that's just like capitalism right there, probably. Welcome like. I think, but then I think there's also a large, large amount of people that don't care for stuff like that that are trying to dig deeper and well, there's have I, stuff with substance. I think there, I th- and I, what you, you just hit it on the on the nail on the head, right? It's like there's something for everybody, but I think the general wave of today is consumerism, you know what I mean, and materialism, right? And I think that's also the general wave. In a lot of art forms, you know what I'm saying, um, but it's not the only wave. There are people, there are people who enjoy everything, bro. And so finding your finding your niche, uh, finding your path for sustainability as an artist, whether it's like a, being a performing artist or whatever, you just gotta build your own path. And definitely, social media today is a big part of that path for a lot of people. My only critique, what I was just saying, is that. It's just like an interesting thing that we're in today. Like it's obviously a, 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 a necessary evil or a necessary beast that we're dealing with and that we got to utilize, right? It's our own form of PR. But it's just like an interesting thing to, to not only have to do something, but then have to be your own news source. <laughs> What do you mean? What do you mean by that? It's like, I mean, that's what we are. It's like everybody's everybody's an artist now. Everybody's a broadcaster now. Everybody's, you know, 
a a product photographer now. Everybody, you know what I mean, is the salesman. What do you mean by be your own news source, though? Well, it's like uh, you can read about me in, like, um, that newspaper or that magazine or hear about me on your podcast or that podcast. Or you can come straight to my Instagram and... Oh, like as far see as like, me oh, talking like about myself all day. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's the the thing is to me, it's like it's really weird what social media has done as far as like, like we're just more connected than ever. But it's somehow it's like we like got further. Yeah, it's like we don't. I don't know. It's like everything is like real. A lot of things are like real surface level on the internet. Yeah, and that's not. I mean, I I don't think that translates in real life. Um. Really what I noticed where, like, the internet or, like, the atmosphere of the internet doesn't really translate to real life all the time. It's kind of like, I think it was around, like, the George uh, George Floyd protest. Like, the way the news was covering it, like, it was like it was about to be a civil war. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, you know, it was like it was about to be a race war. Mm-hmm. But then you go to the streets, you go to the grocery store, you go to wherever, everybody's still cool with each other. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I kind of realized that... Um, yeah, the internet might not always reflect reality. Yo, the real TV way. doesn't reflect reality. The only th- now it does more. My bad, because y'all get like yeah. I, I noticed that too. Like TV shows back in the day, corny, cringy as hell. Like they did, people didn't talk like that, but it's getting better. I look at it like this: the only thing that reflects reality is you, bro. Like, mm. do you know solipsism? No. Okay, drop it on me. All right, I'm always uh, sign out. Oh uh, well, yeah, if you guys haven't seen the first Asa episode, go watch that too. Bro, always dropping on. Crazy gems. <laughs> All right. So solipsism, right? It is a philosophy that um, more or less states that the only provable thing in this entire universe to be real, right? The only thing you can prove to be real in this whole entire universe is your own self-awareness. And the reason why solipsists believe this, right? Can we even prove that, though? I want the only thing we can maybe prove is fucking death. Well, my, my mom always said the only thing you know for sure is you're gonna die. Well, well, just follow follow the pathway, right? Yeah. It's like what they w- the basis of their philosophy is that the only way you can test anything outside of you is through your own senses, right? So even if you want to measure the distance from the Earth to the stars or measure anything, right? Anything you want to calculate or measure or test, you have to do it through your own senses. Okay. Which then pass through your brain. So without you, there's no way to know that anything outside of you is actually real. Because everything has to pass through your brain. You see what I'm saying? And so what solipsists really believe is that everything outside of you is just a projection of your brain. Like you, you construct your reality. Uh, yes, from a metaphorical standpoint and also from an actual tangible standpoint. So like, yeah. so this is what I mean by that, right? It's like when, when you think about your eyeballs, right? Like your eyes don't actually see anything. That's how it's like, yeah, like you're like, that's what you see is constructed by your brain. Yes. Yeah. Your eyes are like receptacles of light photons. Right, mm. so your eyes are bringing, like, pulling in light photons. But which, your brain is really what's seen. Which, like, which gets uh, sent to your brain to be decoded. 
And then your brain sends to other parts of your mind what it is you're actually seeing. You're like a supercomputer. Right? And so there's really no way to tell if what you're seeing outside of you is actually outside of you because it has to be, it has to go through your brain. I guess we agree on it because we all see the same things. So right? we say. Mm. Right? Like, you might not see there's the same shade as me. Yeah, but we've but identified like, that as the yeah. same thing for so long that we can relate about it. You know what I mean? And, like, so, like, you know, it's like even with animals. Certain animals can see different realms of reality that we can't see. Some animals can see infrared. Some animals can see in the dark. You know what I mean? Night vision. You know what I mean? Like cats and stuff like that. And so, like, um, and then even today I was listening to... um to Unique Mecca Audio. Shout out to Unique Mecca Audio. If you don't follow his Instagram, you should, because it's awesome prison stories and stuff. <laughs> but anyway, I was listening to Unique Mecca Audio, and he was saying uh, when he was locked in a hole in prison for a couple years, when he got out of the hole, his hearing sense was so heightened from not being around people for so long that when he got back into population in prison, he could hear conversations from way down the hall while at the same time being able to tune into this conversation and because your hearing was so heightened from being away from it for so long. And so when you think about the range that human beings have in ability, right, in perception, like even right now, like we're in this room, you know, I'm here, you're here, the people behind the camera here, right? We're all sitting here in different positions. So you're looking at me, and this is behind me. I don't even know what's behind me. Right the world, now. the whole world is behind you. All right, right? Other way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right there, it really is the whole world, though. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't even know that all this was behind me. That's my point, right? And And I didn't know that really this was there. I was, I could see that, you know what I'm saying? But what I can really see is what I've kind of, my eye has been drawn to is that red telephone behind you the whole time, right? That red that telephone. That might be Paris, booth. too. I'm actually not sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that looks like London, I guess. But, like, this, this, um, this thing I can see, right? I can see the other stuff going on there. So it's like that doesn't even exist to you? No. It's like in a video game when, like, when you're not looking at this, this isn't even loaded. It's Only not, when you look at it, exactly. it loads up. Which kind of, well, I'm not a fucking, you know. It's I, not I even a part of like, my memory right That's kind of like quantum physics, mm -hmm. which we haven't really get it. Loplex, you know, you know Loplex. Yeah. So I didn't know he was like a fucking, he's really into this shit. He has a lot of knowledge on like quantum physics and like engineering and shit. But okay. he was breaking down quantum physics to us. I don't really remember. But that is something like that. Like it's actually scientific. Like, like things are different when you look at them. Mm-hmm. Some, something along those mm -hmm. lines. Yeah. And then this is how crazy the difference can be. And this is how simple it can be. Okay, so if you look at all, if you take my life, right? My whole life. I'm, I'm 34. I'm, I'll be 35 this year, right? I've lived in different cities. I've done different things. I've been around different people. If you calculate all of my life experience, right? That dictates how I see things, my G. You feel what I'm saying? Because when I see, like, when I see certain things, I have certain references 
for other experiences that I've had in my life. You feel what I mean? That make me see the thing differently than you might see it. Because if you have a different reference or no reference at all, then you're seeing something completely different than I'm seeing, even though we're looking at the same object. You see what I'm saying? And like, even like with language, right? It's like, you know, this is a big thing with language. It's like, you might be having a conversation with somebody, but based on their life experience, they might not even understand 50% of what you're saying. They might not even know 20% of the words you're saying. You know what I mean? And so like, if you're trying to simply communicate with somebody and they don't have enough life experience or similar life of experience to even understand the words, then the communication is even not what you think. You know what I'm saying? And so like solipsism becomes a very interesting thing to think about over time because... How do they, what do they say about different people and their different self-awarenesses? Or I guess it's, just, it's always down to an individual level. It's it's kind of, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure. But from what I understand, it's down to an individual level because you can't get past your individual self. I've seen a quote recently. I forgot who said it, but I think it's super um, interesting. It's like, we are the universe experiencing itself through consciousness. Absolutely. So like if, if everything is made up of, you know, whatever stardust, the whole universe, we're part of that. And as far as we know, we're the only conscious things. So we are literally the universe experiencing itself. Bro, the thing that trips me out on that on that note, right? Well, it doesn't trip me out, but it's trippy, right? Is that you can't physically say where anybody stops and where they start. Stops and start what? Like their bodies. Or like their life? Like your physical self. Okay. Right? Wait, what do you mean? Like, when I say Selmere, right, people are going to think about the physical body of Selmere, right? Okay. Where does your physical body start and stop? Like, where does I it, guess, like, where is the barrier of it? Like, like, on my actual body? Yeah, like, where in this room right I now? I mean, I guess head to toe. Like, what do you mean, like that? Okay, yeah, I'm saying, like, yeah. how far does your body go out? <laughs> like, but this is what I mean right now, yeah. right? So, okay. So, your body is also being supported by oxygen, right? Okay. Okay. So... And every time you breathe in oxygen, your body's expelling carbon dioxide, right? So we've been sitting in this room now for about fucking 30, 40, 40 minutes, give or take. You close? 47 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And for the last 47 minutes, we've been breathing the same fucking oxygen and carbon dioxide. Which is actually not good. We got to right? get a... We've been saying we got to get a better <laughs> fucking ventilation system. We're working on it. But what I'm saying is... That same oxygen that you've been breathing is the same oxygen I've been breathing, right? Which is actually creating blood within our bodies. So we're... So you're saying my body is actually going further through the... Yeah, the oxygen that's been in your body has also been in my body in this room. We've shared breaths. We've shared several breaths. So what does that mean? In this last 48 minutes. So where do you start and where do I stop? Okay, so now let's take it to another level, right? Atoms. Right, we know that that if you took science class in high school and some shit, you know what I mean? You should know, we all know, the basic building blocks of matter are atoms, right? Everything is made out of atoms. They say we get new atoms like once a year. Right. We're like the, whole new people. Our bodies, the, the oxygen, the couch, the microphone, 
Everything is Adams. Shout out to the Adams. Shout out to the Adams, right? Now, if that's the case, right, when I do this, I done wiped off... A couple Adams. I done wiped off millions of Adams. But I've also grabbed on to millions of Adams that were on the couch, right? Like, even my subtle bodies, like my energetic bodies, they say auras and stuff like that. Like, there there are portions of my aura that are way outside of what you can see is my body, which can show up on certain types of photographs and stuff, right? That's a part of my body too, right? But then also, like, when you think about what makes my body run, right, which is like my heart, you know what I mean, beating, and the oxygen being exchanged and my brain being able to adapt that oxygen and compute things, right? Like, all of that is also dependent on the sun. You know what I'm saying? So if you take the sun out of the equation, my G, I'm dead and everything is dead. All at once, one full swoop, everything's gone. So where is the tangible, actual break between the sun and myself? Every 24 hours when it comes back up. Well, there's no break because you can't take the sun out of my equation, Right. You or can't, even like the moon. Or yeah, you can't gravity, take nothing gravity, out of my yeah. equation. So in all in all essence, right, all of that stuff is actually me. I can identify with the sun as much as I can identify with my physical body. Because without the sun, there would be no physical body. There would be nothing, right? Without the moon, I would have no physical body. Without the earth and the gravity of the earth, there would be no Asa. So Asa is a concept. Right, that's an illusion based on these extremities, right? That I think that this is actually me. When in all actuality, the entire universe is me. The whole entire universe is me. Because you can't take the sun out of my equation and I'm still here, right? But the sun is being supported by our solar system, which is being supported by everything else, right? So where is the break between my physical self or my mental self or my spiritual self or any aspect of myself and you? Right? Where can we tangibly say or physically say that it is separate? We can't. We cannot say that. And so the illusion that things are what they are and then us buying into them, I think is... um is an interesting thing. Do you, do you think we live multiple lives? Um, I think life is life. Do I think that um, life has the ability to um, come into form again and again in different ways? Sure, absolutely. I've had moments in my life, in this experience, where I've seen visions of myself in past lives with different body, looking different ways, feeling like Ooh. myself, and doing there, there's this guy right now, bro. He's um, he's been doing a bunch of podcast stuff. I literally forgot his name again. I brought him up on the last show, but he he's been talking about he like apparently remembers like all his past lives, mm-hmm. and he just talks about it. Mm-hmm. Goes into like great detail and just it's like really beautiful to hear him talk about it. So it, it sounds official. Yeah. So it's like I, who knows? He said he like he he tells how he used to live in Atlantis. Mm. And like being like these, like how there are these blue beings, like it was always like a story about these blue beings were on the planet at one point that like gave us some knowledge or some like different shit. Like, I don't know. It's, it's pretty deep. 
I mean, all that stuff to me makes sense. You know, I mean, even the blue being stuff. Like, if you look at Hindu culture, most depictions of Krishna are blue. And Krishna is like a man, but also like a god. So maybe he came from Atlantis. Who knows? And so all this stuff starts to be connected and relatable in my mind. But at the same time, it's like all of it is like, dude, it's like, man, your mind is everything, bro. At the end of the day, bro, the mind—I don't even know where we are in this conversation. <laughs> we're everywhere. We, we are, we're everywhere. What's the movie? Everywhere, everything, all at once. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. it, bro. That's pretty much it. It's like, bro, God is. Also, I also, am, also, 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 also ask you, yeah. what are some, what's a vision that you had of? You said a you had some visions life? of your yeah, past life, dude. If I could tell you one, people think I was slam crazy. I won't. All right. <laughs> Drop it on us. All right, I'm going to give you one that's not so... Hey, bro, if you want to get into weird stories, bro... Bro, like, I'm listening, bro. Bro, I got weird stories after weird stories after weird stories. But I'll give you a past life regression one time. One time... So, okay. When I was in the eighth grade, right? Okay. Um, We read um A Tale of Two Cities, which is a story about the French Revolution. I think J. Cole has a song called A Tale of Two Cities. Okay, so, yeah, the original Tale of Two Cities was written by um, Dickinson, right? Okay. And so uh, we read this in eighth grade, and it was a story about the French Revolution. And for some reason, for the rest of that year, right, I, I had an impulse to run up behind my friends during school time, right, and put my my hand over their mouths from behind their back. I'll run up behind their back, cover their mouths, and whisper into their ear, do you fight for the French Revolution? Right? Okay. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It Wait, was, was this the, the vision or was this no, actually this is, happening? No, this is in real life. Okay, okay, okay. This is in eighth grade, right? Yeah. And uh, so I did this for a few months with all my friends. We fight for the French Revolution, right? I don't know why I was doing that. But, but when I was about... I'm going to say 22. I had a dream, right, where it was like a past life regression. Like, it was a dream, but it was like a vision because it. I felt like I was there. You know how some dreams feel realer than others? Yeah. Like, you feel like, oh, I was actually somewhere, right? So in this dream, which felt real as freak, I was a a, a French noble. I was a white French noble, Right. I felt like myself completely, though. Like but you felt like Asa. I felt like me. Okay. But my body was of a, a white French guy in the 1700s, right, mm-hmm. who was related to the king but wasn't, like, in the castle or nothing. I was, like, a really wealthy merchant, and I had a whole series of shops, right? And so I'm, like, walking one day, and I'm, like, leaving what felt like a, a royal dwelling, right? And I'm walking on this, like, street in Paris, which is a straight-up dirt road, right? 1700s, a dirt road, which is lined with shops and houses. And I'm walking, and all of a sudden I see a mob of people, like dirty people, who look like they haven't bathed in a long time, right? Walking 
towards me in like old 1700s clothes and rags. Some of them are carrying like um, torches. Some of them are carrying like clubs. Oh, they was getting yeah, they was getting ready. Yeah, bro, yeah. and they were like screaming. They were really angry, right? And I see At you. No, they were just walking, but they were like they were coming towards me only because I was walking in the opposite direction. Yeah, that, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm walking down the street. They're coming in the opposite direction, and the street that we're on is lined with um, wealthy merchant shops. And so in the blink of an eye, these people start bashing in the shops, torching the shops, going in, pulling out shopkeepers because, like, these shops were associated with, like, the nobility somehow, right? And as I'm approaching my shop, my little row of shops, this dude swings on me with a fucking, like, what felt like a two by four, but like a old seventeen hundred French two by four, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, so he swings on me. I dug. I hit him with the two piece, right? Yo. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so I roll into hey, my yo. shop, right? I yeah. roll into my shop, and it's 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 all chaos. Like people in there breaking my stuff up, everything. And so, I guess people recognize me. They try to grab me. I'm I'm going for my doop, doop, doop. I'm knocking dudes out. So you're holding the shop down. I'm holding the shop down. And some of my <laughs> shopkeepers, right? Because I own the shop. It's not, you know, I don't work in there. You know, uh, dude, uh, uh, they grab me and they send me into the um, they send me down into the cellar, bro. Like into the basement, which was connected to like a um like a tunnel, like a all the cellars underneath this shit were connected. And I was able to escape that way. But that was the end of the vision. It was like I was there right when the French Revolution was jumping off. So this wasn't a reoccurring, it was just that, that it was time. that one vision. But but that one vision was so real. Like it felt like I like I was really there, saw it, felt it. That to me justified some of the activity that I was doing as a thirteen year old in eighth grade. It was like maybe cellular memory, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of get the feeling that that's just how it feels to me. Like we have been here before. I don't know, bro. It's I like think... I, sometimes when I look at people, I like a, I feel like I see myself. Yeah. Like I don't know. It's, it's weird. I don't know. There's don't some know. theories that you never meet anybody. What do you mean? Like you are everybody. Well, that, but like there's there's like an actual philosophy. I forget what it's called or known by, but like, it's like the concept that everybody that you meet or contact with, you've actually um, had relationships and contact with in uncountable amount of lifetimes. But I guess you had to meet him at some point. Well, well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe not. Mm. Because if you, if you look at like the concept of like the beginning of time. Like maybe when we were just Adams, yeah. you, you were Adam that was just chilling next to me. The beginning, the beginning, the beginning, the beginning of time, yeah. right? The beginning of time. It's hard to go back there because all we know about that is books, but even nothingness, right? Let's say nothingness. Vast, dark, deep nothingness. Me and right? Ali were talking about that. They say all of our fucking atoms 
it's was it like ninety percent nothing. Yeah, everything is pretty empty space. Yeah, everything is most uh, mostly empty space. Like ninety nine percent empty space. Like right? what? What does that even mean? And like, so when you think about <laughs> nothingness, right? Before there was stars, before there were planets, before there were people, that was just nothingness, right? Then everything started to come out of this nothingness, right? It was like the calm. It was the the still or whatever, nothingness. Then it erupts. So 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 let's think of that nothingness as one being. Okay. Let's say that nothingness was one being, right? That mm. one being would be everything mm. and everywhere and all life and singular with no other. So mm. it almost would have no concept of itself. Right? It would just be. It would just be. It would just be. It wouldn't even be able to sense that it is alive. Right? And so when you look to most origin stories, right? There's usually some reference of that, right? Hindus call it parabrahman, right? Like in the in the Christian Bible, like you know, the the void, right? Uh the darkness upon the face of the deep, you know what I mean? Um a lot of things reference this dark vast nothingness that everything came about of, right? Now, if everything came about of this life which was singular, alone and aware, but yet unaware of itself. In order to be aware of itself, it had to almost create something to be aware of that it can look at and move around in, right? So when you think about this this life, whatever it is, this nothingness, right? It almost has to, like you said earlier in the conversation, place itself everywhere in order to experience everything. And so, you know, some some will believe that it's only one life. There's not multiple lives or life forms, right? In the same mm. way that None of us can be separated from the sun, right? Well, the sun is a part of our life, right? And so, like, the life form is the outer thing of it, right? But the life itself is one life that continues. It's the same life that's in the ants. It's the same life that's in the trees. It's the same life that's in human beings. It's the same life that's everywhere. It's only one life. It's just playing itself out in a plethora of ways you know what I mean but at the end of those plethora of ways they go back into the oneness of life you know what I mean and 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 cycled into oneness again but you know these are all philosophies I guess you could say but you know I, I feel I feel that um if you look into your own awareness right consciousness like you go like even when you're asleep and you're not aware of yourself you know what I mean? Does it, do you still exist? And I don't know. Like, if there's a camera watching your body, I'm sure. But in, internally, are you still existing? I don't know. You know what I mean? And so I, 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 um, I don't know, man. I don't know where we are. 
This this has been a deep conversation, bro. I don't even know where it's going. To me, it's just crazy. Like, maybe like we're just never, maybe we're just never meant to like actually figure it out. Maybe that's maybe that's the fun part. Maybe that is the fun part, bro. Because it's like if you figured it out, then the game will be over. You know what I'm saying? The game will be over. I look at it like a roller coaster ride. There's so many great analogies for life. You know what I'm saying? But the roller coaster ride analogy is like. If you get on a roller coaster, right? Roller coaster got ups and downs and twists and turns, and it's going fast as shit, and it's full of thrill, right? And you can get on that roller coaster and be like scared of heights, and be like super not enjoying any parts of the roller coaster, and get off and vomit, right? Yeah. Or you could go on that roller coaster and be like knowing that you're safe, and knowing that it's only gonna literally be like twenty seconds, and it's going to be twists and turns and they're, they're going to actually feel really cool once you allow yourself to chill and just go through the thrill of it and get off and be hyped to do it again. You know what I mean? And then there's mad ranges anywhere in between that of how you can experience that roller coaster. And I just feel like life is that roller coaster. I'm, I'm kind of scared of roller coasters now. I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> and then you see all these videos of people falling off roller coasters now. Yeah, I've seen that. Makes me not. So maybe that's a bad. That's a bad analogy. Uh, but I feel like in life, there's inevitably going to be ups and downs, oh, yeah. and turns. And if you know that, and then you're going to go through it anyway. So it's like, how do you anyway. want to feel while you're going through it? Yeah, you should it's feel like, good. Yeah. As good as as good as the thrill feels in the ups, it should feel in the downs. Yeah. I like the fucking quote from uh, what's the shit with Will Smith and his son when they were on another planet. Um, you know what I'm talking about? After Earth, I think mm. he was just like it was just like danger is real, but fear is like a construct of your mind mm-hmm. or something like that. Basically, said it's all about how you look at things. It's all about perspective. Like, um, there it is, know. man. Yeah, I love it, bro. I feel like we definitely went to some places. Uh, what's yeah? What's going on with the can right now? Anything like, bro? You know what it is. It's like y'all been doing so much. I think it's Larry. I don't know if the cameras can see Larry right now. No, nah, they can't. They can't. Okay, Larry has been fucking staring at me <laughs> this entire, this entire, this entire interview. <laughs> you know, he just he's he's surfing TikTok right now. Okay, all right, Larry. You know what I'm saying? I'm feeling your presence. Your presence is felt. It's <laughs> I think Larry and, oh, we. and all of these planets and pyramids everywhere in this uh Bro, we leaving the planet, <laughs> bro. We leaving the planet. I'm like, this is what it has inspired this conversation tonight. Hey, I man, thought like, I was coming to, you know, people call me to talk about art and what's happening bro, in the just, art world. You know I love I, you know I just love listening to <laughs> yeah. what you say. So I like um I was gonna say, oh yeah, I seen you, I was gonna actually say too, I seen you drop the video on Provenance. Yeah. You you put me on a Provenance last time you were on. Yeah. So it's cool to see you like running with it, like explaining it to well, people that, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that that's a, that was an old video that um my people put back out there for me. But um Yeah. Yeah, it's important, man. Provenance, the backstory, man, the the who, what, when, where, how, and why. I was just having a conversation today with um with a friend who runs an arts organization and we were we were talking about uh Bro, art, like the physical object that you look at that's called art is nothing without the backstory, bro. People might appreciate something, but they 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 will only appreciate it fully if they know the backstory, bro. Without the backstory, you don't even barely know what you're looking at half the time. So you got to you got to have 
Overstanding and understanding, bro. But maybe there's a line where you can like, like if you see like a beautiful car or whatever. Yeah. You might love that, like a piece of art, but you might not know. Yeah. Who created it or or the backstory? Maybe there's a threshold. That's a fact. That's is a there? Fact. Is matter of fact, actually, that's a good question. Is that a, um, is that the is that a higher level when it is appreciated almost like past the backstory, just as itself? Maybe like. Well, I just I just think that when it comes to certain things. There's no way you can appreciate things without having the backstory. Like, you can appreciate it, but you can't get a full appreciation. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, for instance, we look at this Mona Lisa right there, right? Which you also, you went to it. He told us the whole story of the Mona Lisa last, last time, time he was on to it. Yeah. Okay, so it's like, we know what that is because we know what the Mona Lisa is. You know what I'm saying? Without if we if if you didn't know what the Mona Lisa was, this image of that you got here with the spliff and the thing, that would mean we had our touch on it. That's the um okay the mask okay you know. <laughs> so I'm just saying, <laughs> if people didn't know, right, they wouldn't yeah. know what that was. They would just think that was like a cool joint of somebody. You know what I mean? It makes it cooler to know it's the Mona Lisa. I wonder if they had to pay royalties to like. I guess they're like there's probably like a estate maybe. Yeah, the to Louvre. Use that. The Louvre. Okay. The 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 country of France, I'm sure. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Somebody. They gotta pay. Absolutely they gotta pay. You gotta pay. Yeah, you gotta drive the bag for the Mona Lisa. Hell yeah, bro. I love it. Um we like an hour and ten in. Um I guess really final question is like what's next for the can? I mean anything yeah. That, yeah. Um, the can, man. The can is evolving, bro. Um, on a very serious note, this has been a, a awesome season. <clears throat> We've been hosting um, artist residencies uh, at our headquarters. We've been... Um, and B- Baltimore's finished up, right? Uh, well, no, Baltimore's still ongoing, but it's it's not under our management. Um, we, we were there uh, in the early stages to make sure that it got off the ground, and we provided extra auxiliary resources to make sure that it got, got going. But the artists that um, founded it, she kind of took it off after it, it started to blossom. Mahari Chapware. Yeah, Studio House Baltimore. Check that out for sure. Shout out to everything that they got going on up there. Um, so, so yeah, man, we we um, have been doing artist residencies, been helping other artist residencies. We've been doing artist exchanges with different organizations. We have uh, three artists coming to town. Uh, in April, one from Canada, one from New Mexico, one from New York, doing an exchange program, and we're mm. sending five artists up to Charlottesville. Who you got sending? Um, do you know Nad, the Nomad? Uh, uh, Nad Harvin. Maybe she's I've a, seen him. She's a muralist. Um, she's a part of um, a group called All City Art Club up in Richmond. She does really awesome murals and different stuff, but she's going up to stay in Charlottesville for a month to do a show, and they're sending artists down here for a month to do a show. So where are the people that are coming from, like, Canada and New Mexico? They're, where, they're, where are gonna be they're in a residency for that organization in Charlottesville called Visible Records, mm-hmm. but it's like a remote residency, so they're living in other states. Okay. So they're flying into Newport News to do an exhibition and a residency with us. So, like, we're doing that. We're, we're curating shows um, here in the region. Um, we're putting together public art projects, still working with different cities and municipalities and private companies to try to figure out this art thing. Um, you know, we just keep our hands 
in multiple pots, man. Keep keep things cooking. And I think at the at the crux of it all is, you know, trying to find more opportunities and more sustainable pathways for artists, man. For 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 what we do uh, as visual artists, but not just the visual arts, performing artists, people who do broadcasting, podcasts, you know, anybody within the creative network that, you know, is within our realm that we can help, you know, push the narrative, push the agenda for. That's what we do, bro. Yeah, bro. Like, um, oh, yeah, uh, the can fest was hard, like, at Assembly. Yeah. It's funny because right after you guys did that, like, I feel like there was like a lot of events started happening at that place. That was my first time there. Yeah, but that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Larry was there. Loved, Larry interviewed I love you to be at the table in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> but but no nah, man, we have a we have a new exhibit opening. Because I think Pharrell did that. The Mighty Forum was there. Yeah, after right that. after yeah. right after ours. Um, we we got it. We have ongoing shows. Or Mighty Dream Forum. Yeah, the yeah. Mighty Dream. Shout out to them. Uh, uh, I am other or whatever. We we have. Ongoing uh, exhibits going on at Assembly, um, but I'm you know later on this year we're looking to do stuff um, all around the region. You know what I mean? We got some relationships bubbling up with um, Colonial Williamsburg and uh, Fort Monroe, and, and so it, it's gonna be cool, man. I I, I just want to get more art into the community, um, you know, and it's you know for us like we we have a mentality of um think globally and act locally right so what that means is like you know the artwork that we're doing the programming that we're doing is really on par with what's happening i feel in the global contemporary art market but um as an organization we serve the community around us we engage artists from wherever you know what i mean but we're serving this community you know what i mean so we got one foot firmly planted in Hampton Roads, Newport News, all of the cities around here, yeah. and one foot firmly planted in the world. You know what I'm saying? Hell yeah, hell yeah. I love it, man. <laughs> um, yeah, I know you guys do so much, bro. We could probably talk about that. That could be a whole episode in itself of just what the can does. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to see what y'all are going to do in this next phase. I feel like I like these. It's like an update. Like You was on like July 2021, I want to say. Yeah. So it's like a cool update. Um, For sure. But they wanted to say, too, I had a, it's funny, your name is Thomas Dixon. I grew up with a guy named Thomas Dixon. Wow. We almost like set my neighbor's house on fire on accident. Thomas <laughs> yeah. Thomas O'Casey. Me and my friend, shout out to Thomas. I haven't talked to him in a while. But when we, we had found out about when you take like the axe and a lighter and make the flame, so we was back there like by the fence and my neighbor had like these vines that were just growing over the fence. And I'm just playing with it. So I caught the, it caught the vines and it just went over the fence, spread to the whole backyard. The whole backyard was on fire. Oh my gosh. We're trying to like, my hose wouldn't reach. Like I'm trying to get my <laughs> hose up. So I, then I got like a small bucket. So then I eventually just fucking, I like disposed of the lighter, like threw it real far. <laughs> I was like in sixth grade, bro. I ran inside to my mom. Like we called 911, like the firefighters came. And I just like stayed inside. Like I guess nobody really questioned like how it happened. <laughs> but like they put it out like it was cool, but yeah. Wow. Shout out to Thomas. Shout out to Thomas. Both Thomases. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Hopefully there's not. A... <laughs> I was in Ireland working. Yeah. I'm you know studying some art things and found some tunes that had rocks and gave me yeah. ideas that I carried through to today. So I used O'Casey. Okay. And uh, just 
Yeah. Now, Tom, now if you want to inter- interview somebody that's got, I'm down there. We could. I'm down. Stories on stories yeah. on stories on stories has been connected to like all the interesting people from 1940 to 2010. Yo, how old are you, man? Your mommy asking. Uh, somewhere in my late 70s. Uh, he said 19. You know what's funny? <laughs> Yeah, you know Charlemagne the God. Yeah, he he he's like the first person I really heard doing this. But when he says his age, he says the 1900s. Yeah. So it just, it just sounds crazy. He was like born. He was like I was born in the late 1900s. Yeah, like yeah, that's true. But it just sounds like weird, right? But yeah, it's like, like, but the crazy thing is like you know, it's like where you come from is important too. You know what I mean? So it's like what was happening in your neighborhood, maybe at the time of your birth or right before you're born or what was happening in your parents' lives kind of dictate what's going on with you. And, like, Tom has a very illustrious family life. I'm not even going to crack that jar open right now. Oh, like I said, I'm definitely down to get yeah. into it. We can we can set something up. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. No, yeah. I love it, bro. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you, as like always. Words, um, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. And, um, yeah, we'll see you soon. Peace. Absolutely. Peace. Peace.